happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, and I think this is the first time I've got a fit of the giggles on the EdTech Situation Room, but good evening. My name is Jason Neifer. Um, I'm joining tonight from Missoula, Montana, and I'm making my uh, glorious reappearance on the EdTech Situation Room after uh, three weeks away, as we like to say it, on assignment, which mostly meant traveling around and, and engaging across the United States in, in uh, topics related to technology and particularly online education. And joining me tonight, as always, is Wes Fryer. Good evening, Wes. Good evening. It must just be that you uh, are missing the EdTech Situation Room so much. You are just so giddy with excitement. You could not control yourself. It was it was that's definitely all, giddiness. Yep, yeah, absolutely. that's all involuntary YouTube live giddiness. <laughs> now in the DSM-4. So. That's right. That's right. Well, good evening. I'm glad glad to have you back. So we've Thank you. we've had back. a uh, couple couple of weeks. Well, we've had three weeks without you, but uh, two weeks with some guests. Last week we we had the week off. Uh, thanks to Peg, Peggy George. We'll do that shout out right away to say thanks for all the recommended guests. I had uh, asked Peggy uh, when I learned that Jason was going to be out for a little bit to to recommend some folks, and then we did have a couple rain checks and people that were not able to join. And there's Peggy live in our chat room tonight. So. Anyway, we are uh, excited to be back, and we've got so much news to talk about. But, uh, Jason, you just want to do a, a quick personal update. What um, You were on assignment. Uh, you were uh, learning about uh, distance learning. What, what was the best thing that – how do you say it? In iCall, or how do you say the name of that company? By iCall. I was at the um, Online Learning and Blended Learning Symposium. They, they've had a new name. It used to be known as the Virtual Schooling Symposium, which is a name I actually prefer. But um, iNACOL uh, happens once a year. It's really the – conference related to um, online learning and uh, usually I present, although I wasn't accepted this year to do so. And um, a, a lot of interesting things related to data analytics and also um, new and better ways to, to kind of uh, engage in content online. I think there's a lot of attention, particularly amongst commercial learning management systems to kind of up their game regarding um, you know, how they're or, or how they're delivering and the content to students and allowing them to interact with, with others online. And so a lot of great things happening at uh, a lot of the vendors. Um, and also a lot of amazing things happening with uh, state virtual schools. I should give a shout out. Um, I am the, the uh, chair of the Curriculum and Professional Development Committee of the Virtual School Leadership Alliance, which is a group of 14 state virtual schools um, across the United States as diverse as Montana, Idaho, New Mexico, um, Georgia, Michigan, North and South Carolina, Illinois, Indiana, the virtual high school in, 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 um, uh, Massachusetts, and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, and I apologize to those that I am, but uh, we, we also had the opportunity to meet in San Antonio at the INACOL conference, and there's just really amazing, great things happening in state virtual schools across the United States. Excellent public programs delivering mostly supplemental content um, to students as part of their local public school. And it's a model I'm proud to be part of. It's a model that's really getting things done across the United States. So excellent things going on in, in, in virtual learning um, across the fruit plates. Superb. I, I'm actually dressed a little bit better than I was last time. I, <clears throat> for the record, I've never worn a University of Oklahoma shirt on any kind of webinar, and I actually did last time. But uh, anyway, it's been a busy, busy week at school. Uh, have have not switched out of my uh, suit. I this is this is my normal attire actually now for school. Uh, but a uh, big shout out to my wife who's having to do all of the uh, shuttling of children to and from. 
day, uh, you know, lessons and things like that. And we are excitedly awaiting the arrival of our oldest daughter's long form birth certificate so that we can get the long awaited light driver's license and after more instruction, which she's not ready for yet, hand her her the keys and say, you are driving yourself to your lessons. It is time. Yeah. Well, let's jump into it. There is so much going on. And for those of you that don't know, uh, you can check out all of our show links at edtechsr.com slash links. And I want to really encourage you, if you're listening, to fill out our listener survey. We have a listener survey we've had for a number of weeks. We have had one listener in Tasmania, Australia, fill out our survey. I checked it tonight. Uh, and so please uh, fill out that, that survey. Let us know a little bit about where you are. And we are the downloads for EdTechSR have now exceeded my uh, Speed of Creativity podcast, which is a much less frequently published podcast. Um, but we're getting around 275 uh, downloads a day, uh, or at least Excellent. hits. So you don't know if people have done that fully. So, Jason, where do you want to take us first? Because we're gonna, we, we we as we always do here, we're gonna take a look at the news and talk about it through an educational lens. Where are we gonna go? Sure. First? Well, I do. I th- I do think, and and to pick out the second thing on our links tonight. And by the way, you can find links to all of our stuff that we share on the podcast at edtechsr.com, where we always like to share that information out. So you can go make your own judgments about the news sources we're pulling from. But uh, Wes, why don't you go ahead and talk about the K twelve online conference? And let me just give a plug to say it's still the best professional development available for free um, on the internet. So why don't you do a quick plug for that before we get started? Absolutely. This is the, I guess, 11th year of, of the conference. Uh, it started in 2006. So I think it's 10th year, but I may be wrong. Um, but we, uh, have been having this, this crazy idea that, uh, you know, teachers who have innovative ideas can, can share them for free and, uh, just learn from each other. And so, uh, this started way before Twitter, before you know YouTube, before uh, so many different social media uh, platforms. When when blogging was new, you know, when Web 2.0 was the thing. But uh, this year it's a mini conference format, and so Julie Lindsay, who is an early pioneer with uh, K12 Online and uh, global collaboration, just published on uh, Halloween, the October 31st Monday, her, a three-part keynote that is about global collaboration, and I've actually seen two parts of it. Very excited this year for not only this mini keynote format, which is going to uh, kind of follow what a li- there's a library conference that's done this as well, uh, but rather than just have this, you know, d- dump of 40-something presentations within a two-week uh, span of time. You've got Julie's uh, keynote tomorrow night on YouTube Live. You're going to have a chance to uh, pr- uh, participate in a panel conversation that's going to involve, I think, four, maybe five panelists talking about global collaboration. Uh, that'll be interactive on YouTube Live. And uh, then we also have a Voxer channel that's open so that uh, folks can be having a conversation there. And if you're not familiar with Voxer, it is like a walkie-talkie and really does give a unique opportunity to you know, hear, hear the voices of others and make connections and discuss. And so we're, we're in the process of starting to discuss Julie's keynote as well as the other ideas. And shout out to Peggy George, one of our organizers for the conference, who's also in the chat room tonight. And uh, it's just a great way to connect and a great free professional development to share with your teachers at your school as well. Excellent. Thank you, Wes. And just to, to give another plug in related to my experience that I've presented a couple times at it, it's been a great experience because it's allowed me to connect with educators I might not otherwise see when I do face-to-face conferences and professional development events. But more importantly, I can send teachers, 
pre-service teachers, others that want to look at, you know, ways of challenging their perspective in, in a way that really no other resource provides. So it, it's still the best, best gig going on the internet. Um, it provides a lot of fodder and, uh, you know, not only is it free, it lives forever. So you can go back and see outstanding presentations from 2007 or 2011 or 2013 and share with others in a way that no other conference or professional development opportunity offers. So definitely check that out if you're looking for fodder to kind of uh, uh, push your brain. So I guess where I'd like to start, I think there's a natural natural pathway here because there was kind of a here is part one, here is part two, massive numbers of releases in the last two weeks from the two major PC vendors on Earth, Microsoft and Apple, um, arguably um, one one up to the other, um, or both of them were boring, or both of them were exciting. There's so much information here to share and things to kind of uh, 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 play with a little bit. But let's start with Microsoft. Um, Microsoft announced two weeks ago now that they are releasing a new hardware platform called the Surface Studio. Um, almost everyone took to, and this was part of the, the release of it, that it was the ultimate platform for creative professionals, um, but essentially it is the iMac form factor, so a large um, high-resolution monitor that uh, also has the PC guts packed into it. Um, the big differential, however, is that unlike an iMac, because both Microsoft has really embraced touch technologies as, a, as an input interface, um, and following their Surface uh, a line of kind of convertible tablets, the Surface Book, which was their first laptop released last year that has a tablet that sticks into a high-end keyboard and battery. This um, uh, uh, Surface device um, or Surface Studio, as they're calling it, allows you to physically take the monitor, uh, push it back on an axis and push it forward to you in kind of a drafting table mode that allows you then to interact with software um, kind of on, a, on an interactive table almost. You can utilize a pen for that. You can utilize your finger for that. Um, you can utilize an old-fashioned mouse if that's really your thing. But it is a massive um, um, uh, kind of re-up on the notion of a large desktop all-in-one, as as the, the category is called. So I guess, Wes, um, uh, I, it, what's weird about you and me is that I'm kind of the PC guy and you're kind of the Mac guy, except that I'm also a Mac guy. So um, it's a, it's an interesting balance here. But, but first and foremost, was there anything tempting to you about the Surface Studio? Not that I'm going to be purchasing myself or that I see us purchasing at school, but just the whole fact that Microsoft <clears throat> is trying to embrace creatives. Um, I put a quotation from Microsoft CEO Nadella in there. He said, much of technology has been slanted towards consumption. I believe that the next 25 years will be defined by technology that enables profound creation. Right. And I, I just, you know, create to learn. That's my, my favorite hashtag. Show what you know with media. So I couldn't be more excited to, you know, hear the advocacy for content creation. That is such a big aha that many, many teachers have not made yet in terms of their thought think, thinking about technology. Um, that it's, you are, you have some amazing self-discipline to withstand the tickle of the tail, by the way. Um, <laughs> and you're going to have to talk about the birthday sign in the back as well. Cause I, I didn't, didn't oh. ask. That. Um, but, you know, 
yes, 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 Microsoft. We want people to create. Um, you know, Miguel Gulen, who was the guest here a couple of weeks ago, uh, has been uh, being served some some uh, very deliberately um, concocted Microsoft Kool Aid. I think at some of their innovative uh, innovation events and things like that around Minecraft and, and gaming and things like that. So, you know, I'm just excited to see the shift. And if we're going to have a right. critique, and we'll talk more about the Apple event, I'm I think the the Microsoft event was more exciting because of, you know, their entry into some, some new areas that, that, that right. they just haven't been in before. And the idea that they want to push creative computing forward and, and really, you know, not sort of sit back on their laurels with Microsoft Office and Windows and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, fall to the innovator's dilemma. They're really pushing the envelope. And, right. uh, you know, it's it's not to the point where I'm ready to go get a Surface. Uh, I don't know, we've mentioned this before several months ago. Uh, a friend uh, who is a avid, avid, you know, Apple user was just, was, uh, I don't know what the right word is, um, just glowing and being very effusive in his excitement for the surface and what a change, yeah, the, the surface pro and what a, what right. a changed uh, environment it is. So, uh, you know, I'm, I like many folks, I think I'm very heavily invested in the Apple ecosystem. It is challenging to think about and And I wouldn't, I, there's so much into my, it, it is part of my identity. I mean, I'm a Chrome guy too, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a, not going to be a switcher, but it's exciting to see Microsoft making, making this move and it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, because they're at a price point where, you know, this this isn't a mainstream consumer device. No, so no. It, it's going to be very interesting to see if they are able to entice um, creatives to come over. And and they're they're trying to transform. They're trying to do things that are not you you, you are not able to do currently on an iMac. And one of the big things that uh, we've heard uh, Apple CEO. Um, uh, Cook, uh, Tim Cook, talk about, you know, they don't think that the tablet uh, really should should merge with the, the laptop, you know, as far as the touch interface. They see that as a phone, as a, they don't they don't see that as a laptop thing, you know, like like going onto the iMac to have a touch iMac or having a laptop right. with a touch screen. So they, they see that touch touch technology is being something for tablets and phones. So how about yep. you? Are, are you ready to, to go up and uh, throw your $3,000 down? Well, see, here's the problem for me is that I, I'm still not convinced that touch is the future yet. And it's not that it won't be the future at some point because that interface makes total sense. I just don't know if Microsoft is there yet, right? Now, I think that's going to be one of the differentials we're going to talk about tonight, right? Obviously, uh, Microsoft continues to go all in on touch interfaces, whereas um, Apple took the most bizarre first step towards touch that I could possibly imagine. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little in a moment, but I honestly don't see, like if you take the touch away, there's nothing innovative here that didn't appear in a Mac eight years ago. Right. And that's the problem is that, um, you know, like it, it's the Mac, iMac form factor in, in my mind. Right. No, like, the, uh, the knob that you put on the screen is a little different. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, I think that that's, it arguably, uh, you know, PCs were missing a high end, um, you know, I, I guess the term that people like to use is prosumer device, 
um, for creating, right? Like you could buy some interesting hardware from HP or, or Lenovo, um, or Asus, uh, but, and there were, there have been all in ones before almost for certain, but this is the closest I've seen to an elegant iMac interface in, 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 a, in a PC. But you separate the touch from it, of which, you know, the touch devices I have, I, I don't use the touch other than I like to occasionally scroll through a screen. Um, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at a large page of text of something I used to do with my, my, uh, uh, mouse wheel, I don't really see what the big deal here is. And, you know, I'm glad Microsoft is innovating in a lot of ways. I think they've caught up with, with, with Apple. And that's maybe part of the headline here that a lot of people want to say that Microsoft is moving ahead of, um, uh, the Apple interface. And I don't really think that's the case. I seem tend to think of it as Microsoft catching up. And there's a lot of competition here now in this space. But, you know, other than like, you know, it's, it's a great device for, for creators. Um, creators have been well served maybe to this point, um, by the Mac button. I'm going to push back on the on the Microsoft catching up to Apple because I think the ecosystem of apps is is absolutely huge here. You know, Microsoft yeah. doesn't really have a phone now. I mean, I don't I don't know of anybody having Windows Phone, and I think is Windows Phone totally dead. I mean, have they just dropped it? Uh, it's not, but it is only on a, a certain number of devices, and Microsoft itself has has has. Uh, end up pulling future devices off of their development roadmap. Uh, they may go in that direction at some point, but right now no one's really making a Windows phone. Yeah. And so enticing developers is one of the most important things. And, and even when you look Android, you know, versus iOS, it's really a huge thing. You know, not, of course, it's quality of apps. It's not just quality yeah. of apps, but I, there's a, there's a huge, you know, gap and difference there uh, between the two. Um, I think it is going to be interesting to see how security evolves and whether, I mean, we're looking at this for school. I mean, it's just so much easier to, to support Chrome as a platform and especially yeah. from a security standpoint. Um, so I think I agree with you that, that they're catching up. Um, I'll do a, 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 I'll point out that we've got in the show notes a link to the, uh, introduction two minute video for the Surface Studio. And it really does look like a Mac video, right? It looks like you, yeah. you're, you're about ready to hear Johnny Ive, you know, come in yeah. and, and start, uh, start describing it. So. Yeah. Aluminium. Yeah. Aluminium. It's a, it's, you know, really a, it's a, um, recognition of the, the amazing job that, that Apple does, uh, with their products and with their product launches. Um, I think we're going to talk a little bit later, maybe about Elon Musk. It's when you watch other product launches, uh, that aren't Apple, sometimes they can be painful. Uh, yep. and Apple makes it look easy and it's, it's not easy. So I don't know. I, it's exciting to see Microsoft catching up. I think we're, we, we benefit as consumers when we have competition in the marketplace. Uh, I don't think it's going to be, it would be good for just AT&T and Verizon to, you know, rule the whole uh, telecom industry. Uh, you know, we benefit financially from having a, a viable T-Mobile option in our area. Right. Yeah. Um, it's good. To, it's good to see Microsoft working to innovate. So uh, hopefully we'll see them lower their costs for, for Minecraft because that's one of the areas I think they're really shooting themselves in the foot right now. But um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm just going to kind of have a, have a watch and see approach, but right. it's exciting. And certainly given all the tech bloggers, lots to talk about this last couple of weeks. And I will say one other thing related to the Apple versus Microsoft battle. We may pick this back up when we talk about the release of the new Mac pro or MacBook pros. But I mean, one of the things that has happened that has really hurt Apple is that, uh, so they, they did 
release a major update to Final Cut Pro a couple years ago that turned off a ton of, of, of video producers, right? There's been a mass shift away from Final Cut Pro to um, a Premiere on the Adobe platform. And of course, Premiere is, uh, you know, on both platforms, right? And so the reason why that's been interesting is because since um, Apple has not released an update to the Mac Pro, the little garbage can Mac Pro for, since they released the platform. Um, and, and, and arguably, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm parroting other people now that I've heard on podcasts in the last week, but apparently yes, there is, um, um, uh, there, that lack of update really does hurt the, the pro level video, uh, performance because the thing, the reason why you go buy a Mac Pro is because it has, uh, an excellent fast SSD drive plugged into an interface and, and a, a adapter that also is super fast and has ports on it that are super fast for plugging in external storage, which makes video editing a thousand percent better. Now that, that, uh, that platform is stuck, Mac Pro has not received an update since its release, you know, going to an, uh, uh, an almost certainly cheaper high end a PC platform makes a lot of sense because you it's it's you know it's got updated hardware. They're using the latest in Intel processors. They're using the latest in interfaces with drives, and I you know there there's something subtle going on here um, that that is part of the reason why you know the PC seems to be firing up again. That all said, right every year there's a decrease in the number of desktop and laptop PCs being sold. Because this platform, it, and I'm going to make a, start to make the argument here that's going to come to fruition in the Mac section. There just isn't a lot of reason to update regularly anymore. That you can buy two and three year old hardware and get almost everything you need. And the differences between the three year old laptop and the modern laptop is so little, in my humble opinion, that it's uh, that we're, we're we're counting tiny little advances as opposed to where a new laptop every three years made a lot of sense because it would be that much better for the um, the evolution of the platform. So, and I think Microsoft is impacted by that as much or more than Apple. The other thing I think we're seeing here is really some shifting identity in terms of the companies and who they're who they're going for. Right? Yep. Uh, Apple. The, the, there's a great article from. Uh, a website I hadn't really discovered before called Back Channel, which is a great, great blog to follow, called The Bizarre Role Reversal of, of Apple and Microsoft. You know, Apple was making more money on iPods and iTunes for a long, for, for quite a while, you know, and then, then the iPhone it has become dominant. Uh, I heard, I, I listened to the Committed podcast and probably like you, some of the things going through my head and, and probably coming out of my mouth today were, uh, you know, things that I've been listening to on some other podcasts. But uh, Apple is going to make a lot of money on each one of these MacBook Pros that we're going to talk about here in a minute that they sell. But it's just interesting what their target market is and who they're going for. You know, um, we all who've been around for a while definitely re- can remember Apple being the underdog and, and a Microsoft being the behemoth. And, and now, you know, while Microsoft is still huge, um, you know, their, their ecosystem is certainly on the cellular phone side uh, and, the, and the tablet side. I mean, it's, there are different companies that are shifting uh, in their identities. And, and who, who do you want to be, Apple? Who do you want to be, Microsoft? And so we've seen Microsoft uh, through this say that, you know, we want to appeal to creatives and, and focus on content creation. Wow, that, that's a real shift. With Apple, we're seeing things not not be as uh, as overt and exciting. And, and I think what we're right. just continuing to see is the focus on a consumer-level, uh, you know, 
for providing phones, providing, you know, devices for individuals. Uh, you know, the, the education market remains a very small niche and the creative market r- remains a small niche as well. But I don't, I don't think Apple is going to give up. That's sort of like giving up on your roots, you know, uh, disowning your grandparents. I don't think they're going to do that as far as creatives. Right. Uh, what I hope we're going to see is Apple have a great response to this, uh, you know, creative studio by, by Microsoft and, um, you know, finally bring us the update to the to the pro line. But like you said, the software the, and these things, these shifts are big, right? Because if 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 you are not seeing the support that you need on the hardware or the software side as a creative or whatever your particular field is, and you start to look at you know look on the other look at the green grass on the other side of the fence, um, right. some of the programs like Adobe that are that are going to largely in in most cases you know work on on either platform. Uh, you know, people people can be switchers. So I guess if we see Microsoft launch a compelling switcher, uh, oops, I'm getting some um, echo there. Sorry, is it them, still going? Uh, no, it's not. If we see them launch launch a switcher campaign and then it's successful, then <laughs> then things will overly come full circle. So yeah. it kind of takes us to Apple. What 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 did you think stood out from uh, from the Apple event this year? This was our cool. second big Apple event in two months. So. Before we do that, uh, Wes, we never had this opportunity, so I want to know we have some breaking news. Oh, okay. Home run, top of the six, Cubs up six three. Just letting you know. So, very good, very good. Yes. Well, and and tell us, tell us your baseball. Uh, are, are you a Cub? You're a Cubs fan, so I'm a I'm a light Cubs fan. So, and it's more or less. I have friends that will either be extremely ecstatic or extremely depressed tonight, and for them. I'm cheering for the Cubbies. So okay, well, thank you for for sacrificing the live <laughs> to be here. This, yeah, defines geek, I guess. If we're if we're here, so I guess. And Peggy is either multi multitasking with multiple screens, or may not be a World Series uh, fan either. So, <laughs> so um, uh, okay, so the Apple event, um, I didn't watch live. Um, I should say I did see much of the keynote afterwards, although I did scr- uh, you know use the scrubber to push through it. Uh, let me say that I am disappointed that there wasn't that much here in the hardware section. Like I, I do want to acknowledge that it is an advancement on the Mac Pro or MacBook Pro platform, but I did expect an iMac update. I also expected an iPad update because the iPad Air is two years old now and it's not received an update. And I get that it, they're probably getting diminishing returns from iPad Air updates because tablet sales continue to 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 fall uh, industry wide and and I think part of the reason for that is is both that cell phones are increasing uh, in size um, and thus have become tablets for a lot of end users and then of course you know let's not forget that the predominant tablet the iPad is a beast right like these things last a long time um, I like when I pick up an iPad 2 I'm under no illusions that that's a modern piece of technology and yet there are millions of iPad 2s still in service in the United States and that's a five-year-old and my my wife's one to one classroom is still being yeah. powered by by iPad twos. Yep. And um, we we didn't mention either though. This was Apple's first year to lose money, right? Yep. Since two thousand and one, this oh, no. calendar year. To be clear, to be clear right. it's not losing money. It's that they oh, had a yeah. decrease in profit, right? <laughs> yeah. So sorry, 
Edit yep. that, delete that. Yeah, that's yeah. a huge. Yeah, yeah. No, no, they're not. They're not going in the hole. No, <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's it's that the graph wasn't going up. You know, it went down right. a little bit, right. and it was still profitable. By, right. Yeah. Yeah. Five billions of dollars. So yeah. And like I heard a statistic today, for example, that their that their iPad sales continue to decrease, but their profit increased because there was an increase in iPad Pro sales, which have a higher margin of profit on them. So Apple still continues to magically create, uh, you know, massive amounts of profit. Uh, uh, even though they are considered to be ridiculously a struggling company. But let's get the two super yawners out of the way. Uh, there were updates to the or to uh, the TV app um, on um, the um, the Apple TV, and there's also Twitter integration into Apple TV. Oh, I didn't see that. I missed that. Yeah. Part. Honestly, I don't care. Um, I don't have a, a, a newest edition of Apple TV. I'd like one because it runs apps, and that's super cool. Um, but it's not like it just—it's just bizarre to me that they spent the amount of time that they did on the Apple TV stuff because it's like it's a great platform, and I have no problem with it. But it's just not—at least it gives you a sense on maybe how desperate they are to announce things. But uh, there is a new Mac Pro out. Um, the Mac Pro is in the 15 and 13-inch models. Uh, the MacBook Pro is uh, uh, thinner and lighter with a longer battery life and updated processors. But the biggest... Um, uh, the biggest change in the in the design, although I, I will say they are beautiful looking MacBook Pros, right? Like if, I, if you haven't seen pictures of, from the event yet, I would certainly uh, suggest that you watch the keynote. It is a beautiful piece of hardware, but the two biggest changes on the the um, the platform is they've replaced the function keys on top of the keyboard in the higher end models, and that's going to actually mean something here in a couple of moments as we talk about this a little more with a strip um, that is a touch screen that adapts to what you're doing. And the most common, um, uh, and I was gonna bring out, I have a Lenovo uh, 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 ThinkPad that has something similar to that on the design. But um, the, the example they used was the new Photos app on macOS um, allows you or shows you a strip of your photos as you're going through them and you can flip through them with your finger and then ideally applications on the Mac platform would you know, take advantage of this strip to provide an adaptable um, uh, a set of functions on the keyboard as you change through apps. So let's start there. Um, Wes Fryer, exciting or not exciting? Well, I'll go to the Apple TV stuff first. We've we've had a fourth generation Apple TV for at least six months, maybe longer. Uh, really like it. Uh, I caught in the keynote or article. I didn't actually watch this keynote. Usually, I watch the whole the whole keynote, but it, uh, they've gone from a thousand apps at this time last year to eight thousand apps. So that's a, a pretty significant jump. Uh, Minecraft is going to be coming by Christmas to Apple TV, which that'll excite some folks. Um, I'm interested to hear about the Twitter thing, not because I think I'm going to tweet a lot, but you know, when I consume media, I often, surprise, surprise to everyone here, uh, like to share what I, you know, find interesting or, or what I'm uh, taking a look at. And, uh, up to this point, Apple TV, uh, you know, like with YouTube, obviously it tracks your history, but it doesn't even give you an option to like the YouTube video when you're there, you know, much less share it. So I think that is a very interesting thing. My favorite workflow, or it's not really workflow, but consumption flow with the Apple TV is, uh, to have a, to have a video that I'll find 
generally on my phone, but sometimes it'll, it'll be on my laptop, watch a little bit of it, and then I can immediately flip to Apple TV, go to my history, and there's the video. So it's, it's, a, it's not like airdropping, but it's a quick way to, you know, take a video from a device I'm, I have in my hands to, you know, the, the largest screen in the house, you know, which has the Apple TV. Um, so personally, the thing I was most interested in for this MacBook Rev was whether or not we would justify getting a MacBook Pro for our teachers because in right. the next year and a half, we have about 90 or so. Um, we've been throwing around that term. It, 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 may, it may actually be closer to 50 or 60, but it's a sizable number of laptops that we need to look at updating. And we've been putting SSD drives in uh, those laptops and are thinking about, even when we replace and update these, you know, maybe hanging on to them and making some carts with those SSD drives. Because as we've said, yep. you know, a, uh, a four gig, uh, I, you know, i5 uh, Intel processor, uh, that, that, that's a robust machine that, that can, it has a lot of horses. And, and actually, as I've upgraded operating systems and I'm now running Sierra, I think it runs snappier. You know, it's not like bloatware. And so it, it actually runs quicker than the, the predecessor operating system. So, you know, none of the Apple laptops today, <laughs> this is a little whine, have a security lock on them. All right. And yeah. that's maybe not a big deal for consumers, but in education, I mean, one of the things we put in every one of our teachers' classrooms is a little security lock, you know, so that if, you know, they leave their room, they can have their laptop uh, locked down. Um, so th they chose to ditch every port on the new MacBook Pro except for USB-C, which was added, and the headphone jack. And it's interesting, of course, that they kept the headphone jack because that has been taken away from the new uh, iPhone 7S, right? So I... Uh, I, I don't think I can justify the additional cost required to purchase the MacBook Pro. I think it's it's more horses than than our typical teacher is going to need, and that's a function of just you know how amazing processors are and how fast computers are. But one of the biggest things is USB, right? Tonight, for I'm I'm using a a small 11 inch MacBook to do this show. I've got my my iRig HD plugged in. How did I plug in this USB device? You ask. Yes, yep. it's it's by having this adapter, a USB-C to, this happens to be VGA, and plugged in. And so I just don't, I think that's too far ahead of the curve for our teachers. So many folks use USB thumb drives, and so I think the MacBook Air is going to, to be the Apple option that we'll offer our teachers when we end up, you know, doing this refresh series. So overall, I would say just kind of disappointed uh, because I think that, you know, and also getting into the guts of it, they've discontinued or killed the 2012 vintage pre-Retina uh, MacBook Pro that had the built-in DVD. Extremely yep. popular with schools and teachers. I've got many teachers that do not want to lose that DVD capability. Uh, basically, you can't now you can't buy um, a Mac portable with a built-in DVD anymore. And that's I I think that's okay. That's that's a shift. I think I'm ready to help our teachers make, but I'm not ready to just say, hey, you know, make sure you. Have your your dongle whenever you're going to plug a USB drive in. So MacBook Air looks like uh, the better purchase for me, and that was kind of the sort of school focus that I had as I was hearing these announcements and looking at right. all this. Well, a lot of things there. The first one is that um, I'm 
I, I think I agreed that, or I agree that the, uh, the shift to USB-C is startling and will create an, uh, an enormous amount of, 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 uh, tough situations for the upcoming years. However, I do think that I'm, I'm a little tired of, 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 uh, Apple sending out shills to talk about how brave they are by, by eliminating, you know, all these, these dated and dying technologies. But I do think that eventually USB-C will end up replacing traditional USB um, to uh, and it's it's a, it's a better port for a thousand reasons, right? I mean, yeah, you can right. you know if if I were if I were to buy one computer right now, and I, again, I'm not the typical end user because I don't buy one computer. I have many sitting around because I like to go from platform to platform and test things out. But I would be very tempted by the MacBook Pro because I could. I mean, there's already a hundred fifty dollar high end. Um, docks available where you plug in one cable into the USB-C and not only is it charging your computer, it's pulling out video, providing you ports, giving you an Ethernet port, like doing all the things a great dock would do. That's very tempting to me and as, as, as a very mobile professional, that's super awesome. But um, it really does leave a lot of folks behind. And the, what I've heard over and over again on analysis podcasts in the last uh, week was that the biggest thing that's happening is that um, um, uh, uh, pro consumers are, are, are not even pro consumers. Professionals are being left behind by this, by these decisions. Almost all pro tools, USB-C is almost completely dominated by uh, consumer, um, uh, devices, not professional uh, tools. Uh, the MacBook Pro tops out at 16 gigabytes, which is a, a huge issue for a professional that's running particularly video editing or other creative pursuits. Um, the resolution of the screen is fine, but that's available elsewhere and that there's not a lot of devices available for Thunderbolt 3, which is what they're calling yeah. their implementation of USB-C. Yeah. And follow, right? Like it'll catch up, but there's going to be that awkward transition. Um, now, that said, there's something else going on here, too. Um, there, okay, so the lowest end MacBook Pro is it comes without the the the, the touch strip thing, right? Um, and a lot of people have been uh, noting that the that that device is really the death knell of the MacBook Air. Oh, really? That, that um, and I've heard this a number of times in the last week that the fact that they didn't announce any updates to the MacBook Air suggests. Uh that it might be the end of the road for that platform uh, and the $1,600 uh, MacBook without the touch strip um, might be the future of the low end Mac platform. Now uh, I think if they do that, they lose schools completely, right? Like I don't, the fact that they lose an $800 MacBook air, which I think was the entry level Mac that people were focusing on mean that people go elsewhere but uh, I've also heard that rumor as well. So it's, I don't know, I, eh. that all said, what am I looking at here? This is my tra- my uh, laptop oh. holder yeah. for all of these dongles, right? Yep. And I, I went, went in for this great technology called Thunderbolt, right? So yep. I have a Thunderbolt to um, Firewire, what is that, Firewire 2, you know, I've got... Uh, an Ethernet one. Uh, it, yeah, it is. It is. It is incredibly frustrating to think about the high end market being lost because that I get that USB C is going to be awesome, but I think they've jumped the gun too fast. Uh, because, like I said, I just I I can't justify putting a device in, in teachers' hands yet that 
that doesn't even support a flash drive. I mean, maybe yeah. I sound maybe I sound oh, like yeah. somebody in you know when did the iMac come out? Was that ninety seven or ninety nine? I mean, when people were lamenting the floppy disk. Oh my gosh, it doesn't have a floppy disk. It's going to be right. the end of the end of time. Um, yeah, it's. I think that I think the distress here. Maybe 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 I'm wrong, but it's it's caused by Apple looking at the big market, right? Apple is not a niche company anymore. Apple is not, you know, the same company that that was challenging us all to think differently. They're 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 asking everybody to think the same, which is that everyone, you know, not everyone, but many, many of the people that you know have iPhones, so you need to have an iPhone too, or an iPhone also. Um, I don't know. I I don't want Apple to lose their way as that company, but. It seems to me that they risk losing creatives, and it it um, it's been a challenge for a number of years as far as schools. They Apple really wanted schools, and I look at the state of Maine, which is our one of our most innovative states in the nation, uh, a number of years ago to go I, yep. iPad. You know, forget the forget these MacBooks you've had. iPad is the future. We want you to embrace that. And and many schools push back on that. In fact, uh, Alice Barr, who was on our show uh, two weeks ago, you know, her school was one that um, spent more money so that they could keep their MacBooks, and they didn't want that that downgrade that they saw. So I don't know. It's it's really challenging and. From an IT director standpoint, thinking about devices, like we've been able to support with the same kind of power supply, which is why this is important, right? When you're buying adapters, when you're buying power supplies, when you're supporting users, you know, you don't want to have to have, you know, three different things. So when when you said the, I, I, we've wondered if the MacBook Air was on the ropes for a while, and ugh, that would be a... That would be a bad miscalculation on our part, or it could be to a degree if we, you know, if, if that line, because I think you're going to want to probably purchase the line that's going to continue to survive. And Apple is clearly, yep. they're, they're not making any hints about it. I, or not, not a, I don't know how I'm saying that right. They're not hiding their cards in any way saying we completely believe USB-C is the future. Um, I wondered with this, you know, small footprint MacBook, if, if this was like just testing the water. And, and if it was, I think they decided, you know, full speed ahead. We don't need a USB port. In fact, we don't even need Thunderbolt. All we need is USB-C. And in their, in their infinite wisdom, you know, Apple has been prescient uh, futurists for a lot of things. And maybe, maybe I'm just whining because my crystal ball is, is not as, as good as theirs. And maybe we're going to, we're going to have plenty of, of USB-C uh, flash drives, you know, running around here pretty soon. But uh, I, I don't, I don't know. My other thought is, how quick have these changes come? It's just sort of like, how long did it take us to adopt, you know, records and then and then cassettes and then CDs? You know, Ian Jukes and Alan November and people will show us graphs of of how quickly that adoption. You know, how long ago? I mean, I've still got devices sitting over here, you know, on my shelf uh, with FireWire one and FireWire yeah. two. And, and, and so when then we went to USB and we've got the USB two and three and, and I don't really have a, uh, a lightning, uh, whatever, uh, Thunderbolt only device. Well, isn't that great? Because now I can't even, you know, have a built in Thunderbolt port in a new Mac. Yep. Absolutely. Am I whining too much? No, you aren't. And, and, and I think that, you know, a sign of you not whining too much is that I think other people are whining too, right? Like that. Uh, uh, they sent Phil Schiller out to, to a long interview with the independent. We've got a couple of links in the show notes where he talks about the justification. They first start talking about how um, 
uh, why they got rid of the SD card slots in a Mac Pro and, or MacBook Pro. Um, and his justification was there are fine adapters you can buy and that a lot of photography professionals were also using compact flash anyway, so it didn't really work and it was a cumbersome port and it allowed them to be thinner and stuck out funkily and da 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 da. Although he did, uh, in his words, he said, then there are very fine and fast USB card readers, which of course, Mr. Schiller, uh, you took off that device. So that, that, I mean, you have to, Go find one with USB-C, right? And then they also talked about why the headphone headphone jack made a magical appearance in the uh, MacBook Pro while they decided to take it off of the the iPhone. And Phil Schiller's answer to that was that there are a lot of people that use their MacBook Pros in a studio configuration um, as music creators or video creators, and that most devices, or actually almost all devices, um, uh, don't don't have Bluetooth implementations, partly because of the limits of Bluetooth. Uh, there's a limited amount of bandwidth. You do have some audio degradation and that studio monitors and other professional tools um, utilize the audio port, which would be a nod then to say that the MacBook Pro is still intended to be audio, uh, or I'm sorry, for, for professionals. Um, so and I, I guess I kind of buy that, but... You know, uh, uh, you know. Let, let me propose something here, uh, Wes, that I was actually pitching to uh, uh, Martin Horatio at the University of Montana uh, last week via email when we were chatting about this issue. We may be at the end of regular innovation on PCs, desktops, and laptops. I think part of the problem here is that, uh, is that I just don't know, other than thinner and lighter, which is great, but it just it seems like the processor speeds on on laptops they're not they're they're not topping out they're just they're they're just very minorly incremental over the previous generation battery life is 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 becoming to its 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 practical limitation um uh, a, a point made on this week's macbreak weekly i'm sorry it would be yeah this week's macbreak weekly from twit that the uh they're talking about how uh the macbook pro could not put a bigger battery in without eliminating it from being able to travel via planes, right? Like they've got as Whoa. big of a, uh, as big of a battery as they can throw in there. So they don't stick bigger batteries anymore in devices, even though they're becoming smaller because at a certain point you wouldn't be able to travel with it via airplanes. We're, we're, we're maybe starting to get to where Moore's law um, is is starting to slow down a bit, and the differences between a 2013 laptop, especially the professional level laptops, and a 2016 laptop, is is not enough to justify what I would call maybe a an enthusiast um, a, a refresh cycle, right? Like as a as a, an enthusiast, I would replace a laptop every three years. I can't like I can't really justify that anymore, right? Like, I just don't think it exists like it did, uh, you know, a decade or more ago. Here's a revelation for me personally. And if, if you are at, at our school, at my school, please don't, um, you know, interpret this as, as policy or some decision that's been made because these are ongoing discussions and there's a lot of discussions to, you know, before something like this gets decided. But as I'm running the numbers and I'm looking at all of the possibilities for refresh and what can we do, you know, the, the educational price is about $30 less for, for the MacBook line. So if you look at a MacBook Air and what, what that costs, um, you know, it's possible to get a wonderful 13-inch Chromebook from Dell and a, a 32 gig iPad Air 2 Wi-Fi only from, from Apple, both devices 
for a hundred dollars less than you yep. can get the MacBook Air. The 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 actually the, it's it's the second tier MacBook Air, uh, and this is a challenge also is that we're living in a multi device world, and uh, it you know it's something our school hasn't come up with the answer to yet. It's really been up to individual departments and divisions to, you know, ask for money and, and use funds. And so we've got a smattering of, of iPads here and there, but we haven't as a school really decided we're not, we're not one-to-one and we're not, we are, we are one-to-one for laptops for teachers, but you know, we're, we're BYOD for students at the high school level. And um, we, we just have a smattering of other kinds of devices, lots of Chromebooks running around for student use. But anyway, this idea that, wow, the Chromebook so robust and capable and an absolute game changer from the support side of IT, and by the way, from the security side, which is not an insignificant thing, you know, is is priced at a level where we could put this very, you know, robust, amazing, and and powerful tool. I mean, the iPad can be used in transformative ways that you're not going to be using a laptop for. So that's some of the thinking that's, that I've been doing and, and the number crunching uh, looking at this. And I agree with you. I think that the innovation plateau for laptops is here. Uh, people are trying to dabble around and see, you know, just like Google did with their Pixel laptop. They've now got the Pixel phone, but their Pixel laptop was, you know, touch interface and really high end and kind of an experiment. Um, that, that hasn't been revolutionary for folks to have a touch. Lots of us are trying to touch our laptop screens. You know, I am because, you know, I'm so used to doing that on my iPad. And now my wife is using her, uh, iPad Air 2 with a keyboard and, and she is touching the screen because it is an iPad. So, yeah, we're, we're, this, the rap, the rapidity, uh, the, the speed of change is very challenging and, uh, yeah. Part of the good news, though, is the longevity of devices. You know, we have gotten yeah. really, really uh, a great return on investment on our Apple laptops at school, and I'm very confident that if we invest in in more Macs, we're gonna we're gonna get easily another five years plus out of them. Uh, that's just kind of the nature of Apple hardware. So, I don't know. Uh, more stuff is going Wi-Fi and going to the web, and and we're plugging in less and less anyway. So maybe maybe I'm wringing my hand about USB, uh, regular USB ports and USB-C ports unnecessarily. Um, but this is the helpful discussion to have. It helps me clarify some of my own thinking about it because Apple tele- telegraphing, that's the word I was looking for. They are telegraphing you know, their vision of the future, which is absolutely positively USB-C, no holes right. barred. Um, but, it, but it's not to really look at that pro market as much. It, it's really you know, keeping a line that says pro, but doesn't necessarily take into account what, what those pro users are wanting. And I think that's because of market share, because they're going to sell more devices to a larger swath of folks um, who, who aren't just, you know, running trash can Mac <laughs> pros right, or yeah. that, you know, that, that group. So, hey, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some cybersecurity stuff. Can we, can we shift uh, down there a little bit? Yeah, go, go to town. Okay, uh, so we have had some huge cyber attacks. I think it was a week ago Friday, we had one of the largest attacks that uh, has happened to date. And um, the interesting thing about this denial of service attack was that the Internet of Things and an openly released uh, hacker, hacker uh, program, uh, which is now in the wild for, for anybody who wants to use it, 
uh, were to blame. So um, one of the things that's come as a result of reading articles for this is I'm, I'm almost done with it, but there's a great book by Brian Krebs. It's called Spam Nation, the Inside Story of Organized Cybercrime from Global Epidemic to Your Front Door. I mean, blow my blow my mind because of the Security Now podcast and others. I've I've known what a zombie botnet is, you know, and I've understood that there are Russian, you know, spammers and hackers that have created these botnets of of literally millions of yep. computers that have been compromised. But the insight that book specifically has given me into the pharmaceutical uh, industry and how huge it is, and, and this is driven by our need for healthcare reform and pharmaceutical reform here in the United States, you know, for folks to buy medications at huge discounts or medications that they couldn't otherwise get. Uh, I mean, those, it's just, it's, it's really mind, mind blowing. But, uh, it, it, we all have important roles to play in all of this, not only in keeping our systems patched, but also in encouraging others to upgrade and, and not run old systems and to try to be safe, um, not to become the victims of cyber attack, uh, whether that is, you know, thinking about identity theft or it's thinking about, you know, our system being compromised. The last iOS update to 10.0, 10.1, uh, wasn't a vulnerability that was in the wild, meaning that somebody had done it. But but what it one of the things that it patched was the ability for somebody to take control of your phone when you had simply clicked on an image. That's a little scary, right? Oh, and, and 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 so again, that's a theoretical vulnerability. But one of the thresholds that I being the IT director at our school, I'm acutely aware of now. But you know, a year and a half ago when I stepped in, I wasn't was how critical it is that we're running security software on Macs just like we are on PCs. We crossed a threshold in the last, you know, five years or, or I don't know exactly what the date was where, you know, here at home and, and just the perception was you don't have to worry about security because I'm on a Mac. Ha, 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 Windows users, I'm on a Mac. Well, there's no more laughing anymore because, you know, Macs are, are a large part of the market and uh, hackers are targeting Macs as they are PCs. So uh, what do you think of all this cyber attack stuff, Jason? And are there any practical ways you see this impacting you either as, a, as an individual consumer or in your, your role as the uh, Montana State Virtual Academy curriculum director? Well, so the, the thing that's most interesting about the most recent cyber attack is that it took over Internet of Things objects, right, and then used them as a botnet to attack uh, a, a DNS infrastructure, right? Well, uh, it just so happens, and, and, and Wes, as you know, um, it, it, one of my other many hats that I put on is I, I run a small company that provides debate resources for high school debate teams, uh, www.bigskydebate.com, by the way, for those of you interested in that, in that industry. But this month's, I'm sorry, the December 2016 uh, public, I'm sorry, the November 2016 public forum topic is on the relative benefits of the Internet of Things platform. And for those of you that have only heard the term in passing, Internet Things refers to the multi-tens of billions of devices that will be coming online in the next decade that is anything but a computer. So if you've got a thermostat, um, if you have a water heater, if you have a sprinkler system, if you have a car, if you have a anything that is is talking wirelessly to some hub could be considered Internet of Things. And that's what was hacked by the hacksaws uh, uh, during that DNS attack or denial of service attack a couple weeks ago. Um, what's interesting about that to me is that when you are suddenly looking at providing 
60 billion devices uh, uh, that the biggest problem with that is, is that these devices and especially some of these devices that um, were never intended to be supported long term. Um, you know, a good example of this, if I go buy an Internet connected refrigerator, right, and those have been available for a while. But if I go buy an Internet connected refrigerator, um, I am not going to replace that device for somewhere between seven and 15 years. Right. Like I, I'm not going to replace a refrigerator um, uh, that quickly because it's a big, expensive device that should last years in my kitchen. Right. Well, computer manufacturers don't update the software, often called the firmware of Internet of Things devices for that long. And so if you yeah, even buy, even even routers, there's a ton of oh, routers yeah. out there that are yep. just way, you know, dead in the water for firmware. Right. And even and routers, a good example of that, because even if you can't update your router, how many standard computer users? And I like to think of it in terms of my parents, right? Like my parents aren't sitting around thinking, you know what I haven't done today? I haven't updated the firmware on my router recently, right? So luckily they have a nerdy son who comes and does that for them and it's no big deal. But, you know, if you don't have a family IT nerd guy like myself, or I imagine Wes is probably that for his family as well, like that, um, you know, like that's, that's a problem. And if we have 60 billion devices coming online in the next 10 years, and let's say that most of them are Wi-Fi connected, not Bluetooth, which I think is fairly realistic, um, you know, people are going to be hacking your sprinkler and they're going to be hacking your fridge and they're going to be hacking your your heating uh, 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 system. They're going to be hacking your um, uh, your your the sensors in your lawn and the, the ones in it. Well, your your health sensors and all the things that are are part of this Internet of Things process. And um, it's a real problem that we haven't begun to, begun to come to terms with yet. Like, there's no one thinking about this. So, from a personal standpoint, and I'm going to write a blog post about this and send this out to my to my parents and staff because uh, I had three different individuals approach me about this in the last week, uh, talking about laptops, talking about you know their kids wanted a Mac laptop, and I was talking about a Chromebook, and they'd heard about Chromebooks. From a security standpoint, you know, the, the operating systems and the companies that are going to provide things um, that are more secure, uh, it, it's, it's huge for schools, right? The, the fewer full-blown uh, Windows systems that we have on our network, the more secure our network is going to be. Right. Um, and, but the thing about this Internet of Things deal is, it, this is this is a tsunami. This is a train wreck that is not just coming, it's here, but it's going to you know, come even faster and bigger because we don't have the regulatory structure and the legislative understanding at this point and the, and the advocacy to say that we have got to be putting in these kinds of, of, um, of safeguards. So, you know, it's interesting. One of the articles I think that we've got, wow, we've got some big lightning. Hopefully I'm not going to, if I go offline, Jason, we have been struck by lightning. Um, it's talking about the approaches. Uh, Brian Krebs, by the way, put, if you don't follow Brian Krebs, follow him now on Twitter, uh, read his blog. He's got one of the, the foremost uh, security blogs in the entire world, and he's the author of the Spam Nation book. But, you know, they're, they're looking at ways that they can try and defend against this stuff. Um, I can say some of these words, but not fully understand what they what they mean. But when they when when he was having this massive attack, I don't I I, I should pull up the article because it's not 
it's not terabytes. I'm going to sound like an idiot trying to say what it is. There were 300 of them in the biggest attack we'd had before, and now there was 600 of them. Okay, that's called exponential change. And, you know, this this, um, program that is now in the wild that's been released by this hacker allows folks to, to hack all kinds of, like Jason was saying, you know, webcams, Security cameras, sprinkler systems, um, door locks, refrigerators, all this kind of stuff. So we are, we're in the midst of pretty interesting times. And I don't know if I've, I've done, done this or shared this as a, as a geek of the week. Um, but the, um, the, uh, it's not Peter Jennings, uh, the book, uh, on cyber attack, um, I think we've got it back in the show notes. It's, uh, called Lights Out. Folks, cyber attack is real. It is happening. There is a war going on that's been going on for a long time for a lot of different reasons. It's not just countries, you know, it's companies and it's, and it's people who are out to also make a buck, you know, selling, selling pharmaceuticals and, and selling all kinds of things. But to me, it's such a wild west. I mean, it is absolutely a wild west. The United States puts out bounties on people's heads for certain cyber criminals that they want to, you know, have brought to justice and, and be brought in. And when I hear all this stuff, it makes me feel incredibly feeble in my own skills of using technology because, you know, what some folks are able to do with this, it's, it, I don't know, there's a, it's not a parallel universe, it's still in our universe, there, there are parallel universes probably, but the, what we're talking about here is just still in ours, but there's a whole lot going on uh, at a different level uh, and, and anyway, and it touches on the surveillance state and other stuff. So I don't, I don't have all the answers to this, but I do know that our, at our school, I would sure like to, you know, try to keep us as safe as we can. And that doesn't mean by locking everything down so no one can do anything creative, but it does right. mean taking yeah. a real close look at the systems that we're running, uh, the ease with which they can be patched and, you know, the speed with which we can help our users patch their systems. That That is one concrete thing that you and I need to do and everybody needs to do is keep your systems patched, uh, use secure passwords, use a password um, manager and, and use different passwords. And we're on it for the ride because the Internet of Things is only beginning and the security holes are, are ginormous. Yep. Well, and you know, and I'm I'm actually getting or, or I'm, I'm continuing to study this topic beyond what I cut for for cards for uh, the debate topic. But um, I'm going to be speaking to a group in a couple of weeks on the internet. Things as part of a, a fundraiser for a, an education foundation um, in, in Helena, Montana. But you know, I kind of want to hear if people are creeped out by the internet of things or not. Like, I think there's a lot of power in it, and, and don't get me wrong, I now have a couple of net connected light bulbs in my home. I, I have a couple of net connected light switches. Uh, if I, if our, our, our system supported it, I would buy a Nest thermostat. Like, I think there's a lot of great things that, that, that can come of this. And the future looks very bright in regards to the power of that platform. But until we start taking security seriously, it's going to introduce a, a lot of risk. And, you know, like I, I'm with you, Wes, like I don't want to lock things down any more than they already are in schools because I feel like we tend to move towards locking rather than openness, but this threat is real, right? And I'm guessing schools would probably be very interested in having a lot of net connected devices that can help, you know, make things more efficient in the world, but... There's, there's an interesting parallel of what's happening here, uh, and, and, and we see this happening with the surveillance state. And maybe, Jason, maybe we could take that on next week because I've got to give – got to. I volunteered to give a TEDx talk here in a few weeks up in Enid, Oklahoma, on the surveillance state and, and citizenship. So I don't know if, if that sounds uh, appealing, but we could possibly take 
take that on as a few articles because I, I need to boil some of that down to some practical, you know, here's what we can do or here's what we, besides being aware of this, I don't think being scared is sufficient. Um, Peggy said in the, in the chat, sometimes she feels so helpless, you know, hearing about these attacks. Oh, um, and, and we can feel that way. But here's a practical thing. And I lived for a number of years in Lubbock, Texas with my grandmother before she passed away, who loved to listen to Art Bell every night and watch CNN all day long and, you know, had all kinds of great conspiracy theories to share with me. Um, we all need, and, and so yeah, with what with uh, she he called Y two K K Y two. She'd say K Y two's coming. Are you ready? Um, you know, listening to late night radio talk radio. But um, we all need to be prepared for short term natural disasters. Okay, I live in Oklahoma. Uh, we have some tornadoes. Hey, news news flash. Uh, we also have earthquakes now. We've got all kinds of things going on. But <clears throat> you know, it's it's possible for us to lose power for a while now. If any of us lose power for a month, uh, that's a game changer. You know, that, that's, that's beyond, I mean, that's Katrina style uh, Armageddon that, that, that's, that's what the book and, and Peggy put the name of it. It's lights out, a cyber attack, a nation unprepared, surviving the aftermath. So I'm not, uh, trying to tell everybody to be super crazily paranoid to just, you know, flee to the woods, but I, I do think it's very, reasonable to say let's be prepared for short-term natural disasters because those can happen whether it's a snow or ice storm or a tornado or you know something else uh and we are not talking about science fiction when it comes to cyber attacks and 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 the dependence that we have at school at home in in every aspect of our life on the internet is just you know continuing to grow and grow and we need to be prepared at some level to not have all these devices. One of my classmates from the Air Force Academy, I think, who's made one-star general, I saw at our 20th reunion, and uh, he was talking about, you know, the, the next air war and preparing for it. We're, the Air Force is not giving up on dogfighting, right? The first thing the enemy is going to take out is going to be GPS, and so you're not going to have, you know, right. this whole system that you have relied upon for not only your drones but your, your aircraft and, and all that. So... Anyway, there's. I, I'd love to to delve more into that yeah. because I think there's some real practical things both on the school side and the individual side for us to to think about and grapple with and and hopefully walk a line between being aware and being responsibly aware, but also not you know flipping out over the edge where we think the president is uh, you know reptilian DNA or who knows what. You know, there's all kinds of just absolutely crazy stuff that you can read people you know talking about and saying. So yep. don't want, we don't want to go that far. Well, do we need Geeks of the Week? I think we do. We've arrived at the top of the hour, so let's go ahead and uh, share our tool of the week. I'll, Wes, I'll go ahead and start, and then you can um, uh, send us out. Um, I, I'm going to share a quick app this week. Um, it's called Work From. Um, it's only on iOS right now. It's a really excellent app that creates a, a, a really small social network where users – uh, show places where you can take your laptop and go work for a couple of hours. It's 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 pretty dominated by coffee shops right now, but there's two things I really like about it. The first one is that it's more than just telling you about Wi-Fi. It's telling you the quality of the Wi-Fi. It's telling you how if there's outlets available for you to plug in your devices. It tells you how friendly the people are to to people that are remote working. Um, there are at least a dozen places in Montana where you can do this. Um, 
I'm sorry, Montana, <laughs> in Missoula, where you can do this. And it only shows two, but I think that that gives me then an opportunity as a Missoulaite to go in and, and add my own. And I love working remotely. I love working in coffee shops. I love working in co-working spaces in the hundreds of communities in the United States where they exist. And so um, if you are like me and, and uh, tend to be a technological road warrior Work from is an excellent app on iOS, uh, hopefully soon to Android, where you can find places to hang out for a couple hours, uh, get access to great Wi-Fi and get things done. Awesome. Uh, my geek of the week is uh, going to risk sh- sharing something a little political, but there's a lot of interesting things here. It is a website called Bomb the Right Place. Uh, and this is a game that's on a, a whole website called GOP Arcade. And uh, basically the, uh, these were games, by the way, rejected from the app store. Um, th- and there's some that are not, not appropriate for school. It's, there's another domain. There's another domain that, and, and right, our, our election is kind of not safe for school, right? At some level right now, the presidential election in the United States. But, um, anyway, there, we're living in a, in a, in a world of millennials and ex Gen Xers or who knows what, what to call the generation, but you know, short attention spans enjoying games. And so these, uh, game developers wanted to make some important points by, by gamifying, uh, these things. And so it's, uh, it does make you think, and it's actually a really challenging geography quiz. So geography is much more than place location. It is just not knowing, you know, states and capitals. But anyway, it's worth checking out, and I've got a link to a background post that I wrote that, um, you know, from from even a communication and literacy standpoint, uh, the 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 cross section of political messaging and gaming is is pretty interesting. So we want to give a shout out to again the K twelve online conference. You can check out the live panel discussion tomorrow evening. You can go to k twelve onlineconference.org or the hashtag k twelve online conf c o n f. Jason, where can people find you online? I am many things. Uh, my day job, I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, www.montanadigitalacademy.org, or uh, go online to find more about state virtual schools at statevirtualschools.org, which I don't know is the domain name now that I think about it. But still, uh, Virtual School Leadership Alliance is, is another place I hang out. I'm also the NCC Tech Savvy Administrator in Residence for the Northwest Council for Computer and Education, where I blog at blog.ncc.org. And find me on Twitter, at techsavvy teach. Very good. And I am kind of continually updating my Twitter profile and deciding what I want to amplify there. So uh, <laughs> in addition to uh, the EdTech Situation Room, I uh, put a, a link there to EdCamp OKC because I do help organize our annual EdCamp. That'll be the first Saturday of March if you happen to be in or around the state of Oklahoma. Uh, STEM Seeds, which is a uh, STEM network that I uh, helped start the last couple of years and we're probably, it looks like, going to be able to do a STEM Institute at our school this summer, which is going to be exciting. But but primarily, I am W. Fryer on Twitter, and you can find my blog at speedofcreativity.org. So you've been listening to the EdTech Situation Room for November 2nd, 2016. We want to, again, give a big encouragement to everyone. If you're listening, to fill out our listener survey because we'd love to know where you are and the things that you enjoy or would like to hear on the show. Thanks so much for Jason for hosting and coming back, and we're glad that you're, you're back safe. And until next time... We need to come up with some kind of really safe surveillance thing, you know, be smart and be safe, my friends, something like that.